Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, um, just to recap where we've been in this series, uh, last week we talked about, it was the very first uh, message in this series, and we talked about how you were not designed to have theories about life, just like you weren't designed to have a theory about parents loving children. You were designed to experience what it's like to be a child loved by a parent. You were also, in the same way, not designed to have a theory about the Holy Spirit. You were designed to experience the Holy Spirit. You weren't designed just to have ideas about like, okay, I will theologically agree that there is a third person of the Trinity. No, you were designed to live with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is, for the next two weeks, I want to take a look at who the Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit does? So this week, what we're going to do, we're going to do a bit of a biblical theology, which means we're going to go pretty much go from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the end of the Bible to develop a theology of who is the Holy Spirit. Now, to do that, I want to tell you the story of the Bible, but I want to tell it to you in a way that might be a little bit unique, and so I'm going to give some disclaimers kind of throughout it. This is going to require that you're awake, okay? (laughs) The heat in this room is going to make you want to fall asleep. My nasally voice will want to lull you to sleep, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to ask them, are you awake? Okay. Now what you have is you have accountability, okay? You have accountability, Here's what I want to start with. I want to start telling you this story with talking about creation and the war. Creation and the war. In the very beginning of the Bible, and by the way, uh, this is also a little bit of a different kind of teaching. I'm not going to have you turn to many places because we're going to hit, and you'll see also, thank you for McKenna for doing slides because there's like 25 slides. We're going to hit a lot of scripture. So maybe have a notepad out, have like your phone out, and you can type down some of these references. But just so you know, we're going to be going to a ton of different scriptures. There's not just one main scripture for today. So in the very beginning of the Bible, we learned that humans were designed to live in Eden. Everybody nod and say, yes, that's what we learn. Genesis chapter one, humans are, are, are born essentially into Eden. Now, what was Eden? What was Eden? Was it just a garden? It was more than a garden. Eden was essentially a home. It was a home. And it was a home not just for humans to live in. It was a home designated out of all of the places that God could have picked on earth. He picked this garden, Eden, for him to live with humans. It's a place for humans and God to live together. Ancient conceptions all throughout the you know, ancient Near East of God's home, of the kind of homes that gods would have lived in, are, are, they were described as mountains, they were described as gardens. Eden is described as both, both a mountain and a garden. Now, it's important to note at this point that not all of the world is Eden. When God creates, he creates all of this matter, but then there's a very specific section that is 
Eden. And Eden was almost like this military outpost of God's order amongst the chaos of a world of matter. I'm going to say it one more time because this is, this is kind of technical, so I really need you to follow along. Eden was like a military outpost of God's order. In other words, what God wanted to have happen happens in Eden amongst an entire world, cosmos, if you will, of matter. And it was human's job to make the rest of the world look like Eden. And this is repeated, by the way, throughout all of the scriptures. You have the prophets even saying, you know, that one day the Eden project will be complete. How will you know? When the knowledge of God spreads across the earth like water spreads across the sea. You're like, wait, isn't the sea water? Yes, <laughs> that's the point. That the knowledge of God would be so connected to the entire globe. That's the Eden project. And this would require, if humans are going to join God in expanding Eden to the rest of the world, this would require waging war on chaos with the order of Yahweh. Now, I want you to get this. Here's where the story takes, so far you're like, okay, yeah, I've kind of heard this story before, or I'm familiar with this story. But, I, but this is where the story takes a slight turn. There are other spiritual beings in this universe. For one, there's this serpent that gets into the garden in Genesis chapter 3, right? There's this wayward cherub is really what he is. It's cherubim in, in Hebrew. There's this wayward cherub that gets into the garden. But also we see that there's not just this serpent in the garden. The Bible tells us about this group of lowercase g gods that the Old Testament calls Elohim. Can everybody say that with me? Elohim. Now, these Elohim pop up in various places throughout the Bible. But here in Psalm 82, we see them pretty specifically, and we see their role as well. So pay, pay attention to this. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Interesting. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. Okay, what is going on here? What is going on here? Well, the word for God here is Elohim. And in the grammatical context of this passage, there is a singular Elohim. Elohim presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment amongst the plural Elohim. There's one God amongst a council or an assembly of other gods. And here, Yahweh is expressing his superiority. The singular Elohim is expressing his superiority over these other gods who know nothing who walk in darkness. This passage is weird, is it not? It's a very curious passage, and in fact, scholars for, for many, many years have tried to explain this passage away. They've tried to be like, gods, like humans are gods. And in fact, I actually even heard a preacher the other day preach this. I said, you are gods, speaking to humans. You all are gods. It's like, but when were you in that great assembly? When were you Elohim? That's not what it is. See, throughout the entire Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 6, you see that whole weird Nephilim thing. I'm not gonna, some of you want me to talk about the Nephilim. I'm not going to go there. But there's this moment in Genesis chapter 6 where the sons of God, same language, the Elohim of God, 
they, they, they look at the women of earth and they come down and they do some sketchy stuff with them, right? Read about it. Genesis chapter six. You're like, Genesis chapter six. Okay, read about it. You see it in Genesis chapter six. You see it in Job one. You see it in Job two. You see it in Job 38. Job is full of the Elohim. And they all have this phrase that it's translated as the sons of God, or it's translated as lowercase g, gods. But the word in Hebrew is the same. It's Elohim. Now, why does this matter? You're like, okay, where are you going with this? Why does this matter? Well, if you were to ask a Hebrew, why is the world so chaotic? Why is it so messed up? What's wrong with the world? They would not have given you the answer that probably you would give me right now if I were to ask you that question. They would not say, oh, it's easy, the fall. That's what we would all say. Why is the world so messed up? We would say, well, Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Well, an ancient Hebrew wouldn't have given you that answer. The answer that they would have given you would be a little bit different. They would say, yes, the fall, but it was also the giving of the nations to the Elohim at Babel. You're like, when was that again? When was that again? What are you talking about? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 32 is very helpful here. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... Like, when did the Most High, Yahweh, give the nations their inheritance? When he divided all mankind. Now, here's a question. When did he divide all mankind? At Babel. Remember? They come together. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to get an identity. And God comes down, and he sees their little tower, and he goes, no, 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 no. We're dividing mankind. So at that point, here's what we know. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, it was at Babel. At Babel, he's giving them what they deserve. And what is it? He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, the Elohim. In Hebrew, it's Elohim. In other words, let let me tell you this. The nation's boundaries, every nation's boundary, the borders of nations are according to the sons of God. They're according to the Elohim. Okay. (laughs) I feel like we all need to stand up. Let's just, after that, let's take a break. Let's stand up. Everybody stand up. Because some of you, I see your eyes. They're starting to droop. Stand up. Okay. Kind of stretch a little bit. Okay. Go ahead and grab a seat. Okay. (laughs) You're like, you're like, what? What? What is going on here? What I want you to see is that these Elohim or these sons of God, become that the nations are given to at Babel, become the demon gods that the pagan nations worship. Speaking of Israel, remember God's like, don't marry other foreign women because you'll be drawn to their gods. Those are the same gods that the nations were given to at Babel. Don't be drawn into, the, don't be drawn into worshiping them. Well, Israel is. And when they're drawn into worshiping these foreign nations' gods, like Baal or Molech, the ones that you read throughout the Old Testament, We learned they're not just gods, they're actually demons. (laughs) So check this out. Speaking of Israel, they sacrificed to demons, which are not God, not Yahweh, gods they had not known. Now, in Hebrew, it looks a little bit, it looks like this. Next slide. They sacrificed to demons. The Hebrew word for demon is shadim. They sacrificed to shadim, not God, Eloah, to God's Elohim, whom they had not known. So specifically, you're like, okay, the nations were given to, the, to these various gods at Babel. Who are these gods? They're Elohim. What are these Elohim? Shadim. 
They are demon gods in control of various nations. Now, for some of you, your minds are like bent right now. You're like, what? (laughs) I don't have time to get into, I did an entire teaching, it's like an hour long, on this supernatural worldview that the Bible has in our spiritual warfare series. So, A year and a half ago, go back, uh, listen to the Supernatural uh, Worldview message in the Spiritual Warfare series. But here's what I want you to see. Why did I do all that? Here's what I want you to see. Humans exist in a spiritual world according to the Bible. This is not merely a natural material world. This is a spiritual world. This isn't neutral air that we're breathing. This isn't a neutral space that we're living in. It is contested with real Elohim, real demonic gods who want to control nations and control people. And there's a very simple paradigm that the, uh, from the narrative of the Hebrew Bible. You listen to Elohim, you listen to demons and lower gods, you give your allegiance, your time, your mental energy, and your heart, and you will die. You will die. Your whole life will begin to center around you and the pursuit of identity. You will, you will relive Babel over and over and over and over again because these are the gods of Babel. You will die because they will lie to you. This is what the Elohim, the lowercase g gods, have been doing for all of time. If, all the way since Genesis chapter 3, what does the, what does the Elohim in the garden do? He lies. The, the, the Satan the accuser, the serpent, he lies. So, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is this. These lower Elohim are what I call uncreating gods. Their entire mission is to uncreate. It's to manipulate people into fleshly living. It's to sow chaos into people's lives. And they do it by controlling nations and controlling leaders and controlling people and controlling you and what you think. You, you know, you might ask the question, well, what does a demon want from me? Does it want me to be like, go to like a Satanist convention? Does it want me to do occult practices? Does it want me to watch scary movies? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, or listen to the, yeah, there you go. Does it want you to listen to the media? Here's what I think. Next slide. Their true aim is fear mixed with a sense of lack in life, all medicated with a self-righteous attitude and selfish choices. Because they want you to live Babel over and over again. I'm going to make a name for myself. God, God's not really good. He doesn't really have my best in mind. I'm going to reach for that fruit. I'm going to be God. All the, lower, the lowercase g, Elohim, what they want you to do is they want you to think that you're an Elohim. That you're God. It's Babel choices. It's build your identity apart from God choices. And what I want you to see is that this is the war. And the war is not against flesh and blood or people. It's a spiritual war. Paul understood this when he penned these words. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Who are those? Against the authorities. Who are those? Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? I thought heaven was God's space. Who are the spiritual forces of evil? They're the Elohim. They're the lowercase g gods. And so Paul's whole paradigm of what spiritual warfare is, of what it means to walk in tandem with the spirit of God and to live for God, 
takes place in this context of pushing back the authorities, the powers. At one point when Paul talks about the cross, he's not like, it was a great feat for humankind. Do you know what he says? God made a spectacle of the powers and the authorities. God made a spectacle of the Elohim by triumphing over them on the cross. Now what, maybe you're thinking, you're like, okay, that was all kind of interesting, but what does God's spirit have to do with any of this? Well, everything. You see, the spirit of God is the creating spirit. The creating spirit. In contrast to all of these Elohim that the nations have been given to, who are bent on bringing death, the main work of the spirit is creation and recreation. The Spirit of God, you know, all throughout the Old Testament is often translated the Ruach of God. Can you say that with me? Ruach? Ruach. It's kind of fun to say. Ruach. You can get that kind of thing going. And it comes to mean biblically, as you look at what, the, what Ruach means throughout the Bible, it comes to mean, it has a range of meaning from God's breath, his, his, his breath, his Ruach, all the way to his activity, or one commentator that I read said this, and I think this is really good. The Ruach of God is the extension of his vitality. It's like I came to church and I was just here to hear some songs, and I, it's because, you know, it's Mother's Day, it's what my mom wanted to do, and there was hopefully going to be kind of an interesting, you know, message, and next thing I know, there was an extension of God's vitality into my very being because I encountered the Holy Spirit. It's so powerful. God's ruach is what he uses to give life from the very beginning, and it's what he uses to sustain life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and ruached into his nostrils the ruach of life, and the man became a living being. The spirit was there at the beginning, creating life, and the spirit is also what sustains life. In fact, the Ruach of God is the hope for Israel to be remade one day, and it's our hope too. In Ezekiel, the prophet, he says this, uh, prophesying, I will give you a new heart and put a new Ruach in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one who created and the Holy Spirit is there to recreate the human heart around the things and voice of God. Where you have believed lies and been uncreated by the wayward Elohim. Where you have, when you look at your life and you go, oh my word, all my patterns of thinking mirror the patterns of thinking of the nation that I live in. Then I have been manipulated by Elohim. I've been manipulated by lowercase g gods and I must be recreated. I need to know the truth. And this is why Jesus calls the Spirit of God a very specific name in, in, in John chapter 14. Notice this. He calls him, the Father will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. What? The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. It's the Spirit of truth. There is a helper from the Father, whose whole job is to point you in your life to Jesus and what Jesus has said. Now, I, I think we're at this point, we're getting into the mystery of the Trinity. We're into Trinitarian type stuff at this point. But the Holy Spirit will point to Jesus and his words. Why? 
Because remember what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's life. If the Spirit is trying to recreate you, he's gonna point you to what Jesus has said. He's gonna point you to Jesus. It's the Spirit of Jesus. Okay, so another recap. Let's do another recap, and you can snap a photo of this. Number one, humans have a spiritual capacity to communicate with spiritual beings. From Genesis chapter three, we see that all throughout the Bible. You were created to live spiritually. Number two, humans were designed for Yahweh, but end up in communion with other gods. This is a Babel problem. The spirit, think voice and breath, is there to undo the death and destruction the other gods have caused by leading you into truth and giving you a new heart, recreating you. Number four, so why? So that every person will know God for themselves. They'll have a personal relationship with God. Jesus says this spirit will be a truth teller unlike the serpent. The spirit is not a random spirit. The spirit is God and is Jesus, the third person of the Trinity. In fact, often the spirit in the New Testament is called the spirit of Jesus. And there's a couple different passages where this happens, but this is one of my favorites. Next slide. Galatians chapter four, verse six. You wanna know who is this Holy Spirit? Is this like a random kind of like little spirit over here or is he connected? No, he's connected. Check it out. And because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts and now you can call God your dear father. Okay, take a deep breath. Everybody just take a deep breath. I told you this would be a little bit of a study and I picked this hot, hot day for it. Lucky me. But this is the week for it, and this is really what I, I wanted to kind of lay this foundation because it's going to inform so much of what we talk about in the rest of this series. Now, here's what I want to say to you, St. Sil. You were designed for war. Have you ever wondered why you can't just get to a peaceful place in life? <laughs> like Maybe if I can just get there, everything will settle down. Maybe if I just get retired, everything, I'll be able to take a deep breath. Maybe if I just made this much money, then, then I, things would be at peace. No, 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 you're a believer. So you were designed for war. See, people who are not believers don't live in the war because they just live underneath the Elohim that they've been assigned to. But you were designed because of the Holy Spirit being in you. You were designed to be victorious over the demonic gods of the nations. You know, in Psalm chapter two, it's, it's actually quoted later on in the New Testament, but in Psalm chapter two, it says, you know, today I've said to you, you are my son. It's like a messianic psalm. God's speaking to Jesus. I've said you are my son. The next line, you want to know what it is? Ask, and the nations will be given to you as your inheritance. I don't know if you realize how powerful that is. See, the nations were given away to the, to the gods at Babel. But Jesus comes around, and what's his inheritance? He's getting the nations back. He's getting the nations back there as his inheritance. When he triumphed over the powers on the cross, he removed every legitimate authority over every nation, and he released the ability for people to choose him rather than just choose the Elohim that have been running their lives into uncreation. Romans chapter 8. You know what it says? Nope, not that one. Good on you for being a trigger, trigger happy back there. Um, Romans chapter 8, you know what it says? Romans chapter 8 tells you that you are a co-heir with Christ. 
What does a co-heir mean? It means that you are inheriting what Christ is inheriting. What is your inheritance? Your inheritance is the nations returning to Yahweh. Your inheritance is to rub shoulders with people in your workplace and in your dorm room and in your extended family who are being ruled by wayward Elohim, being ruled by these other gods. And your inheritance is them returning to Yahweh, the true God. That's what he's purchased. That's what, he's, that, that's what he has done. You are co-heirs with Christ. So our whole lives are aimed here. Just like Paul on Mars Hill. Remember when Paul goes to Mars Hill? This is like intermediate Bible study today. This is not beginner Bible study. When Paul goes to Mars Hill, he says, you guys have a statue to an unknown God. I want to tell you who that, all these other gods, yeah, you've been worshiping them. How's that going? There's a statue to an unknown God here. And do you know what that, that's the God in whom you live and you move and you have your being. In other words, that's the God that created you. So all this uncreation can be reversed with him. So come back. Come back to your creator. Leave the gods of uncreation. Now, to end, Paul says this to the church. This is very important. The mind governed by the flesh is death. In other words, the mind governed by the Babel attempts, by the wayward gods, is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Life, creation, and peace. Life in the flesh is a life of getting salvation, purpose, meaning, peace, apart from God. But it's connected to and influenced by these other gods, and it will kill you. But life in the spirit is peace because life in the spirit is this resolute stance. I will only listen to the spirit. I will stay in step with the spirit. In fact, this is actually what Lizette was saying uh, during offering today. Life in the flesh is how can I manipulate my surroundings to get the life that I want? Life in the spirit is I will step when you tell me to step. I will invest when you tell me to invest. I will buy when you tell me to buy. I will speak when you tell me to speak. I will live with that dove on my shoulder, always checking in. Are we going here? Are we going there? So look, there are two paths. There are two paths. If you look, I feel like we're taking casualties as a people that are, they're like our, their own goals, you know what I mean? You know, when, like, you, when you're playing soccer as a kid, and then there was that one kid who scored the goal in your own goal? <laughs> like, we're in a war, but we have, the, the more you yield to the Holy Spirit, the more life you see. The less you yield to him, the more you're scoring own goals. You don't need to do it anymore. The same spirit that created you and rose Jesus from the dead, is recreating you. Say that with me. The same spirit who created me, rose Jesus from the dead, is recreating me. One more time. The same spirit who created me, rose Jesus from the dead, is recreating me. All right, I want to pray for you guys. Let's stand up. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram 
download the Saints Hill app in the App Store or visit our website.